0: Thank you for joining us for working through the word a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ as Joe mentioned earlier No, I'm not Mike Johnson. Thank goodness Um, There's a couple things why I say that one is um, if you've ever seen my Bible my Bible is big I don't think I could roll it up like Mike does and make it look like I know what I'm talking about one number two is I need this podium to hide I guess a little bit so I was uh, thankful for the opportunity to uh, present the lesson this morning about two weeks ago and the further I got into my preparation I wasn't so thankful anymore because I realized just how difficult it is to preach. I don't do it very often but I do uh, occasionally like the opportunity but I think the older I get the less I don't like to do it. There's so many other people more qualified here in this building to do that. Thank goodness one of the qualifications of being a shepherd is not called being a good preacher. So take that as you will. Chris Pence, thank you so much for you and your team. Uh, Chris and I were texting at 6.30 this morning, doing our thing. He was texting me last night at about 11 o'clock. I think it's the time. And he will tell you in between that time, I changed on him a couple of times what I needed him to do. So thank you, Chris, and um, for doing what you do there, you and your team. If you weren't in the adult class this morning, I thought Jack Hall did a great job leading into my lesson this morning. The one thing that I didn't really appreciate what Jack said was, Jack left his hearing aids at home this morning, and I think it's because he read the bulletin that I was preaching this morning. So, Jack, good job. If you can hear this, good job. (laughs) I was uh, practicing my sermon, uh, just kind of going through what, how much time it would take, and you're kind of supposed to limit yourself. I guess the Church of Christ biblical standard is 20 to 25 minutes. Um, after I got done rehearsing the first lesson I had, my brother and sister-in-law said, you're going to have to shrink that down. You're going to be going way past the hour, hour and a half time allotted for the Baptist preachers. So. No offense to the Baptist, but I did shrink it down, and I think we'll get through this. I'm just glad I'm here with Christian family and friends to, even though I can't see your smiles, I can see through your eyes that you're there to support me, and I appreciate it. So this morning, the topic this morning that I chose is Christian unity during imposed cultural conflicts. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that. What's the basics, what does, what does unity mean to us? Unity is defined as the state of being together or joined as a whole. Very short definition, but very powerful. That it is the state of being together and joined as a whole. If I can digress about 30 years ago, shoot, now it's probably 35 years ago, 36 years ago, I made the decision as a senior in high school that I I wanted to join the Army. And I had no previous experience in military. There had been nobody in my family that had been in the military before. I just had a good recruiter that showed up at the high school and said, I want you, and he suckered me into it. And um, quite candidly, it was a great experience. But I remember as a young private at 18 years old, Getting on the airplane. Getting on the airplane for me was new. I'd never been on an airplane before. Quite different from so many people today in today's generation. I was a city boy, I didn't need to go very far. I was born and raised in Cincinnati, everything you needed was within a mile, mile and a half walk, so why get on an airplane and go anywhere? Well, I had to fly to a place called Lawton, Oklahoma to Fort Sill. And I remember that very specifically for a lot of reasons. And I'm gonna get to why this is talking about unity here in just a minute, so bear with me. My first few weeks of basic training, I'll never forget, I was with a lot of guys. A lot of guys that were not from Cincinnati, Ohio. A lot of guys that were from areas that I had no idea even existed in the United States. A lot of guys that talked differently than I did. A lot of guys that were different. At least I thought they were different. Of course, they thought I was different, I'm sure. However, one of the things that the military taught me and taught us that were there is about unity, is about uniformity, what was expected, what was commanded. From standing in line to going to the chow hall, there's a specific way that you were going to stand. There's a specific way that you were going to enter the chow hall. To how we dressed, everything had its place. All you former military people that are sitting here in this audience, you know, there was a way that you dressed, and that uniform had to be perfect. Also, I learned about hey, all these weird individuals I'm in boot camp with that talk different than I that I do. We all started talking the same. We all started talking to one another, and it was consistent with how we talked to one another. There's a military code. There's a military language. It was consistent, and it was built for unity. I was no longer than about probably three and a half, four days on Fort Sill when I was introduced to my drill sergeants. Fort Sill, when you go to boot camp, typically you are in a what's called a reception station. Could, you could be there for a couple of days, you could be there for a couple of weeks, just all depends on when you start in the cycle. And the day that you meet your drill sergeants is usually not a good day. It's, it's kind of scary. But from day one, they start teaching you what unity is all about, what being together is all about, what helping each other is all about. I'll never forget, we were on the cattle car and it literally was a cattle car. It's where you put cows. You guys that have seen cows loaded up and seen the trucks going down interstate, those were the exact same transports that I was on going from the reception station to my area that I was going to hang out for the next, I think 16, 18 weeks. We're on this cattle car and all of us were just giddy and laughing and joking and smiling and out of nowhere comes this voice. Men, welcome to Sill, Oklahoma. The home of pleasure and paradise. We are gonna have a good time. We're gonna have fun. I'm gonna be your buddy. We're gonna go sailboating. We're gonna go kayaking. We're gonna do a lot of hikes. We're gonna do a lot of fishing. We might even do some race cars here and there. About that time, and I'm like, where did this voice come from? I thought God was speaking actually. About that time, the cattle car stops, and that same voice says, "Man, you have ten seconds to get off my cattle car, and nine of them are already gone. <laughs> About that time, those doors fly open, and there are these Smokey the Bear Hats flying everywhere and grabbing you from every which way they can to get you off that bus or off that cattle car. Well, that's a shock treatment, but all your buddies are together, and you're all trying to figure out how you can help each other, but there is no help. There is not. Drill Star won't let you help each other at that point in time. One of the things we were told at the reception station, we're gonna let you go to the PX, which is where you can buy goods. Do not, do not buy anything that you don't need to shower or put clothes on, don't buy anything. Well, sometimes people just don't listen to instructions. Well, this one specific private that I was in boot camp with, I won't name his name, but I remember it very specifically. I'll call him Private Joe, not for Joe Cover, just because of her common name. He bought this big box, and some of you, some of us older people will remember the big box of family size detergent for your laundry. It was powder. And I asked Lisa before I came up here, because I want to make sure I wasn't telling on yarn, do they still make powder detergent? Because I haven't seen it in such a long time. She said yes. But if you remember these family sizes, they were about this tall and about this wide. We had to carry everything that we had from the reception station and anything we bought. So this private had two big duffel bags, a rucksack and this big box of surf. I'll never forget it It was surf laundry detergent. Why I would remember, I don't know. We were exposed to our drill sergeants. We were given the whole, we don't like you, but we're gonna make you good people. And there's a lot of other things that goes along with it that we don't need to get involved with. But they said, you see that day room over there, boys and girls, you weren't called men. You were called a lot of other things. You need to be there, and it was the same situation. You need to be there in 10 seconds, and nine of them are already gone. About the time they say that, they're running and chasing after you, and you think wild animals after you. This private's running so fast. He does not see a big water, what's called a water buffalo in the military. It's a water tank that you carry behind a truck. He's too busy looking at the drill sergeant. Running as fast as he can. Got this bag of surfing. Bam! he hits that big water buffalo and surf goes everywhere. Now, I wasn't too far behind and I was not gonna help him pick that stuff up. I just kept trucking because I had people that wanted me in that day room more important than I need to help this individual. We got to that day room and I'll never forget. Drill sergeants came in and everybody was there except that private and they said lesson number one, every single one of you guys should have stopped and helped him out. And, and for that, you will pay. And we did. We paid with a lot of physical energy. But that was step one and first lesson number one about how to be unified and start to create unity with those that I was in the military with. In the, in the Army, it wasn't a me mentality. It wasn't an I mentality. It was a we mentality just like Christ expects us to have that mentality, being united together. I think it's an interesting parallel, how we can correlate just that story to what God expects from us from a unity perspective, but I'll get to that in just a minute. One more quick story. I remember when I went through the drill sergeant academy, I thought all those guys were kind of crazy, and I thought, well, I wanna see what makes them crazy. I guess it's a personality defect because I went to the drill sergeant academy and I guess I fit right in with the rest of them. But one of the first things they did when you walked in the door, actually you didn't walk in the door, but when you got out of the car or whatever it is that you were coming with, they took your rank off off your uniform. And when I went to the drill sergeant academy, you'd have people there and there were E-4s, E-5s, E-6s, E-7s, didn't matter, but they took their rank off. Lesson number one, we're all the same here. We all come from different walks. We all did different things. Some have been to combat, some have been to uh, supply schools, some have been to whatever you want to call it. We were different, but yet we were going to be united. And sometimes I think the thought in today's world, fast forward to where we're at today, can things get any worse in this country? Can the lives of what we're seeing, what we're faced with every day get any worse than what it is today. Well, I'm gonna tell you, I think it's been worse before. It's been worse before, believe it or not. Why why do you think we had the Civil War? Civil War, we fought each other. We fought brothers and sisters. We, We fought here on this country, on this continent. So things could get worse. However, I have to admit that it feels like the temperature is getting tuned up quite a bit it's like we're approaching a big American divorce no longer be an American be who you want to be and we're gonna do what we want to do and this country's gonna be better for it that's a shame because that's not what this country was founded on and that's not what Christ expects from us you know when I think about some of the examples of what we're faced with every day. The constant barrage of the news, the constant barrage of unfriending people uh, online from um, family family splitting up, selective social distancing, boycotts, vilifying one another, making sure that we do come up with some sort of hashtag whatever to show that we're different and show that we are separating from everybody else is a real shame. All these examples are similar, but they do highlight the broader feeling of increased separation from once a unified country. Maybe this goes right along with the reasons we are removing or have removed prayer or saying the Pledge of Allegiance as many schools have. I think those are two things alone that could really go a long way in restoring some unity back to this country back to this country and to our culture. As a shepherd, one of my greatest fears is that we as Christians are getting sucked into the worldly culture of being separated from one another. And we are allowing the forces around us to impact our views of one another, to sow discord, to separate us, and to also undermine our call to be unified together in Christ. Colossians 3.11 says here there is no Greek, and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Our unity can only come from our identity in Christ and not our allegiance to earthly groups. If we're struggling to to be unified, perhaps it's because we are experiencing a misplaced identity and something other than Christ. Could it be that we have convinced ourselves that we are better unified with those that are at work, with those that are at school, with those that are involved in our extracurricular activities, more connected, more in tune to those people than we are our Christian brothers and sisters? If so, you and me were falling into Satan's snare. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know about you, but that verse scares me. When I think about something devouring me, for some reason, my mind flashes back to Daniel in the lion's den and the story that we find in the book of Daniel where Daniel's penalty for disobeying and bowing down to idols was they were going to throw him in the lion's den and the lions were going to eat him. They were going to kill him. That's what the devil is trying to do to us. He wants to devour us. When we think about how much time do we have in a day, we have 24 hours. Some of you may say, Brett, you're out of your mind when I say this next statement. Some of us sleep for eight hours. Some of us may not sleep that long, some of us might sleep a lot longer. But let's just work with me here for a minute. So if you take a 24 hour day, you sleep for eight hours, you work for eight hours, that leaves you eight hours to do something else. Whatever that might be, whatever comes along, what fills that time for us? What fills that time for you? Are we purposeful in that time? Is it time that allows the devil free reign? Or are we purposeful and on the defense against the devil and how we spend that time? Are we making sure that we allow plenty of time for God and the Christian family? Now listen to this, I'm gonna say this again. Are we making sure that we allow plenty of time for God and the Christian family as much as we expect God to allow us to enter His kingdom for eternity. I can't hardly say that without getting emotional because I don't spend enough time. I need to spend more time. I think we all if we look at ourselves need to spend more time making sure that we are ready and spending our time wisely creating that unification with our brothers and sisters. So how much time are we putting into being prepared to enter the kingdom of God? versus doing things that I want to do that's absolutely nothing to do with preparing me for my, inter- my eternal life. To be a Christian means that we are called to forgive. We're called to forgive our worst enemies, to be patient with everyone, to tolerate people who are intolerable, make adjustments for the weak. That could be weak physically, that could be weak spiritually sacrifice for the greater good fight the good fight fight for the truth share grace live for the bigger picture and that's to seek god's kingdom to listen to understand and to always humbly strive towards reconciliation with our brothers and sisters so that we can all enjoy eternity together scripture doesn't ever tell us that we only have to reconcile with those that are easily or that are easy to reconcile with. We don't have that option. We don't have the option to say, I don't like Brett. I've got issues with Brett, but I don't want to reconcile that with him. I'll just sit here and be quiet. That's my internal thing. I won't say anything to anybody else, but you have the responsibility as a Christian. You have the responsibility for your eternal salvation. And what makes that even worse is if that person doesn't like Brett, is that they go and talk to others about Brett. That's wrong. We all know it's wrong, and we need to knock it off if that's a problem that we have. Romans 14, 19 says, "'Let us therefore make every effort "'to do what leads to peace and mutual edification.'" Make every effort. Don't let our pride get in the way. Don't let our stubbornness get in the way. Make every effort to make peace with one another. As we go about our lives, is that what we're doing? I hope so. We should always be looking for ways to lift each other up, making sure that we are edifying one another. The scripture doesn't say make some effort. The scripture doesn't say make that effort on Sunday morning. The scripture doesn't say make that effort on Monday. It says make that effort all the time. Make that effort every effort, not some of the times, but all of the time. It doesn't say as long as we get our way, that we are to be this way. It doesn't say that if the sermon didn't fit my needs or the preacher wasn't very good, that it's okay that we don't really want to edify, that we really don't want to make peace. It doesn't say if a brother does or says something that we don't like or agree with, that we're not allowed to be this way. It doesn't say that. As Christians, it tells us to be at peace and continually edify. That's what we're to do. So my question is, are we giving, the, are we giving others the same peace and understanding that we expect God to give us? Because if we aren't, facts of the matter are, guys, scripture tells us, because if we're not, We can't expect it from God. Seeking unity, excuse me, as unity relates to the nature of the gospel, we must really always see eye to eye as it relates to biblical principles. But even in this process, how we do that really matters. We may believe strongly in one thing, we may believe it says this specific thing, that's okay. But let's make sure we don't approach others in a very derogatory way. When I say that, seeking unity around our Christian beliefs must still be a process filled with humility, with honesty, and with love. It's not berating. Approaching a brother or sister in Christ is not berating. It's not impatient. It's not bullied or in an arrogantly superior fashion. You may know more about the scriptures but that doesn't make you more important than the person who doesn't. So let's be careful. Some of us have been Christians for the vast majority of our lives, some for several years, some for just a few years, or shorter, some may not be Christians at all. Let's always keep that in perspective when we could potentially want to correct or admonish someone else. Remember that they may not know, or they may need additional study additional information to understand better what the scripture says. Bottom line, if we do it with love and in hopes of creating and maintaining unity of this body and not creating division or separation from one another, we're doing as God expects us to do. However, as unity relates to our opinions around cultural happenings, we're allowed to have We're allowed to be differing in our conclusions of the cultural happenings around us. While we should never compromise on the core Christian beliefs, on what scripture says, we can compromise culturally. Let's make sure we understand that. We can't compromise on our biblical principles, but we can compromise with each other culturally. We must allow allow each other this freedom without cutting each other down, or trying to make yourself feel superior to them. Our differences of opinion and cultural matters should not be an excuse, should not be an excuse for disunity in this body, for disunity in Christ. We're getting ready to head into another election in 2022. Think about this. We've got pandemic restrictions. We're seeing commercials already of who's better and who's not and why they're not and who's got the worst reputation and how can I taint their reputation and make it even worse? Racial tensions are at an all-time high. Unrest amongst this country is crazy right now. Financial uncertainty. However, as Christians, we must have the mindset about our identity and our church community. Our identity as Christians and our identity with our church community. Not everyone is going to see current events the same way. Just not possible. It's not gonna happen. We're all gonna see things differently. But since we all have Christ, we have something far higher and far more important than cultural differences and opinions. This means we must be willing to exist in a church where people land in various places. We must embrace him as our Christian family first and foremost. This needs to be a place of love. This needs to be a place of happiness a place of excitement, a place where people wanna come. That's what we need. Allow me for just a minute to brain dump on various social conclusions and preferences that likely exist in many churches and may even exist here. Just give me a couple minutes with this. Some of us will lack sensitivity. Others will be crippled by it. And still others will be honestly unaware. We need to love them the same. Some of us will vote Republican. Some of us will vote, vote Democrat. Some of us will vote, vote third party or not vote at all. We need to love them. Some of us are barely informed. Some are highly informed. Some are wrongfully informed, but we still need to love them. Some think Trump, prior, the, uh, the President Trump is Hitler. Others say he's King David, while others say he's the Monopoly man. Love them the same. Some think Joe Biden has early dementia. Others say he's sharp as ever, while others don't know and don't really care. Love them too. Some watch CNN or MSNBC. Others watch Fox News. Others C-SPAN, and yet others watch nothing. Love them the same. I could go on and on, but no need. I think you get my point. All these preferences, opinions and views are permissible in God's church. We can't all be correct in all things, but we are free to believe in them. And perhaps some of us will evolve over time as we're more educated and more exposed to whatever the specificity of the thing is. But that's not the point I'm making. If God eternally loves us in Christ, and has brought us into the same family, then we can learn to love one another and continue to love one another despite our differences. At this time, I think it's appropriate to quote a famous passage that most all of us know by heart. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. It's Commonly referred to as the love chapter. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Just a few verses there, so very powerful about the love that we are to have as Christians. Love is the key to unity and our shared identity in Christ. That's what brings us to Christ, the love for Christ, the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Let's cling to that like we've never done it before. Let's cling to that family. Let's cling to the principles of the scriptures of love and unity. Remember, we've heard it said many, many times, Christ died for our sins and for our inclusion into a very special family a special family that if we do his will, we will be rewarded with an eternal life. After addressing unity in marriage, the apostle Peter broadens his teaching to the whole church where he he writes in 1 Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you, repeat that. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, In a humble mind. Since it's written that all of you, that means all of us. The message is for all of us. Let's make sure we apply it first to ourselves, making sure that we apply it to ourselves instead of being preoccupied with others. We must seek like-mindedness rather than division. We must give sympathy rather than expect it or feel entitled to it. We must act like blood family rather than mere acquaintances. Jack this morning in class talked about families and he talked about when his family gets together, some of the shenanigans that goes on there and the relationships that go on there. Some of us don't have good families. I won't make any bones about that. Some of us have really good families and some of us are somewhere in the middle. But that's why God made this family for us all to be accepted, for us all to be loved, and for us all to be welcomed. We must be tenderhearted rather than combative. We must be humble in our thoughts. The reason why the world is in such a pickle is because these biblical values have been either reversed or they've been erased. And the question is, are we gonna continue to allow that to happen? Through the lives that we live, through the examples that we are, are we gonna continue to allow biblical principles to be erased from our communities, from our workplace, from our church, from the world? It starts here local. The world wants us to believe that this life is about you and what you want and what material possessions you can acquire And the list goes on and on. That's what the world wants us to believe. Not about unity, not about love, not about the things that Christ expects us to be. So then, rather than trying to score points on a cultural issues basis, let's be on the right side of Christ. Let's practice being together as often as we can and encouraging one another instead of tearing each other down. If Christ is the center of our lives, it should not be difficult. In fact, it will be glorifying to God and what a great example we can be to this community. When they see the family of God at the Richmond Church of Christ, enjoying each other, loving each other, working together for the common goal of reaching eternity together. That's our goal. That's where we wanna be. We can be, and we are, I'm not saying we're not, but we can do better, but we can be that light on the hill that attracts others to Christ. In a time where division is constantly slapping us right in the face, where so many of our so-called leaders are trying to convince us that everything is acceptable and no matter what you do, God is still your friend and God loves you and God will forgive you because he's a loving, caring, concerning, forgiving God. That is true. But what's not true is what they're saying, where you can do anything and you can do everything and you can misconstrue my word and you can take my words out of context and you can do those things that feel right for you. That's where it's wrong. Let us be the counterculture that builds unity, that builds a foundation on biblical truth and faith within our families, within this church and within this community. Let us, enjoy the grace of Jesus by sharing our grace in our relationships with each other and constantly putting in the effort, not just one day a week, not just this morning. It's all day today. It's all today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's all day every day. It's just not today, it's every day. But daily, we could build Christ-like unity that's expected from us, and from those who plan on inheriting the eternal kingdom of God, eternal life. When I think about ways that we could personally do this, I could, the list goes on and on. But how about let's do this. I'm gonna challenge you for this one thing this morning. I'm gonna challenge every, every one of you here. Pick up the phone this week, call one of your Christian brothers. Don't text them, call them. If they don't answer, leave a message. Let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know you care about them. Let them know I'm praying for you. How can I help? That's your challenge for the week. One phone call that takes less than probably one minute for most. That's a challenge. We have many more. We we have so many examples in this body where we do well, where we reach out to the community, where we do certain things. Every one of us has to do our part. Responsibility of the, uni- in the, the unity in the body of Christ is not just reserved for a few people in the congregation. The scriptures don't tell us that. It tells us everybody. Not just a few, not just a few that are good at it, not just a few that are not so good at it. It says to everybody. It's commanded by God that all of us participate in building one another up to work together and sharing the gospel of Christ. However... In order to have unity in the body of Christ, one must be part of the body of Christ. And the only way to do that is to become a member of the body through baptism. As it is written in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. If you you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and been baptized for the remission of your sins, this morning, is a perfect opportunity to do so. If you are here and desire the prayers of the church for any personal sufferings or concerns going on in your life, we're here to assist in any way as we stand as we sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.